Yeah, I think I think they got really scared. So bring it, eat that mic. Bring that up to your face, pal. Oh my god, it picked it up. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a bad rig, by the way. Oh, not bad at all. All right. Um, I think yeah, I'll just mess with the levels if you want to. Sure thing. So we are Cult Cinema Catacombs. Um, it, it's a podcast that I guess is was what a decade in the making. Yeah, at least yeah. Because I mean, we've been wanting to do a podcast together for a long time. I'm I'm Roy Buckingham, and this is uh, uh, Andrew Farmer. <laughs> Did as you I forget said, my name? As, well, because <laughs> I have to stop myself from calling you Andy Garfield because that, of that one episode. Oh, and now yeah. it's become pre-programmed <laughs> in my head. No, that's fine. Um, and so we were just, you know, trying to come up with ideas to do a show together. And finally, one day he messages me and asks me, have I ever seen the movie Picnic at Hanging Rock from Australia? And I said, no, but it's been on my list. And then I said, hey, are you a fan of uh, period pieces where where uh, young women hysterically scream in Australia for no reason? <laughs> yeah, you are. OK, cool. Let's watch this movie. So he was like, hey, why don't we do a show? around you know rare cult films like this and i'm like that's a brilliant idea so what we do is we will not look at your typical cult films like the room or rocky horror or anything like that we go for the real deep cuts we 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 go in deep into the vault look for things that have been forgotten or obscure or maybe should stay in the vault <laughs> like the terror of tiny town oh, God. and um, and watch them and the first half of the show is us discussing the title and some facts about the title and what our expectations are and then we stop recording we go our separate ways for a few days we watch the movie separately then we regather and record the second half of the show where we discuss what we've watched and um, we're now this would be I guess officially this would be our 12th episode yeah and so we've done a year's worth of shows already how is that possible I have no idea have we really done 12 we've done 12 episodes now we've so done this a year so far I guess I don't know so we've I mean we've done 12 episodes but we've only done 11 films we're not counting this as a, a film one but we'll announce our next title at the end of this show let me let me uh, now that Roy said his piece let me say mine um <laughs> On paper, Roy's uh, explanation of the show is exactly what it should be. Now, in reality, what this show is, is I came to Roy and said, hey, have you seen Picnic at Hanging Rock? Just off the, just off the cuff, right? I know that, you know, in reality, Roy and I both were going through some crap. We needed a creative outlet. And I said, you know, now's the time to get a hold of Roy and spend, not spend too much time, right? Just enough. To, to kind of release some of those creative juices into the world. Um, and Roy said, yeah, you know what? I haven't seen it. But we're not going to start with that. <laughs> no, that, would be, that would be something that wouldn't make Andy cry. <laughs> if we started with this and just kind of worked our way through this world like a, like a, like a game of life where you just keep, can't even pick up the car because so it's like the first season of Game of Thrones you have to just like commit to it before you get rewarded I have committed to so much for this podcast <laughs> and there's been and, and and the reward the risk reward for this show for me is really low um, <laughs> so the first thing he comes at me with and so my idea is 
and it's evolved. My idea was like, okay, so something like Picnic at Hanging Rock, because I had never seen it, and I've seen a lot of cult movies, and I'm like, how have I never seen this? Roy, I've never seen this. He's like, I, I haven't either. And I'm yeah. like, how have you not seen this? You've seen a thousand more movies than me. So Roy then took it upon himself to say, I wonder whatever scarringly <laughs> horrible things Andy hasn't seen. Oh, he hasn't seen these? Well, I'm going to make him watch them, and then I'm going to make him talk to me about it, about how it hurts you on the inside, which is what... No, honestly, like, he he gets my taste very well, but he, but he likes to test those boundaries and those limits a little bit. Uh, things like, if you haven't listened to the show, we've done Liquid Sky... Which was our very first episode. And it was great. Yeah. I was I was not expecting it to be what it was, and it was fantastic. You know, so he's really pushing my idea of what a cult film is. Um, and I know that the next three are going to even more so do yeah. it. What I love is, is that our first episode was Liquid Sky, and suddenly it's having this, like, renaissance. It's, it's playing in theaters again. Uh, they just reissued the soundtrack on vinyl through uh, Mondo. Uh, which cracks me up. I was like, wow, people are actually going to want to listen to this. Of course, I bought it. But uh, <laughs> who I'm would like, ever want it? Oh, I'm just like, I'm just hitting. I'm like, who wants to listen to I'm this? I'm hitting on buy purpose? now. I can't stop myself. Wait, it's $25 and it's designed to look like the scenes where the aliens are extracting the heroin? Okay. For those who've never seen Liquid oh, Sky, it's Lord. about this alien who comes to Earth during the early days of the New York New Wave scene and also the early days of the AIDS epidemic searching for heroin but the alien discovers that the human brain produces a chemical that matches the same chemical compound of heroin when you're having an orgasm so it extracts it out of your brain while you're having an orgasm and leaves a crystal shard sticking out of the back of your head so apparently this was the director's metaphor about how AIDS was spreading through intravenous drug use so I'm like, so from sticking a needle in your arm, you get crystal sticking out of your head. Sounds great on yeah, paper. It makes perfect sense to me. Until you actually watch it. Yeah. And then there's things like the weird uh, alien hunter. The uh, German alien hunter who gets hit on by the Jewish shrimp-loving woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's that. Um, there's, <laughs> there's the... Uh, just the weird, like, Warhol-esque monologues that happen periodically because it takes a place in the art and fashion scene. We get a musical number called The Rhythm Box, which... Is exactly what you think yeah. it is. Uh, we also get an impromptu beat poetry rap that is performed with the, concussion, uh, with the uh, accompaniments of the uh, lesbian artist taking her fist, and, uh, and we don't know where she's pounding it, but it's making this... It's a horrible... And she just impromptu just riffs it off the top, and um, yeah, it's 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 one of those movies where you're like, what the hell am I watching? But at the same time, you can't stop watching it, and it moves at the same. I stopped like twice, <laughs> and then restarted. It moves at the same pace of what it would be like if you did take heroin. So it's like just everything suddenly just gets slow, and and. That's why I think the score is the way it is. Yeah. So it keeps us away because it's like everything's like slow and dreamy, and then the musical score comes in, and, and no exaggeration, it's, eh, 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 and it's like just like oh, that. Oh yeah, and I'm like, oh no. So in the narrative of, of our of our podcast in the last year, 
I say we should watch Picnic at Hanging Rock, and Ray, Roy says, I've got a movie for you to watch first. And that's what it was. <laughs> like, my, my father has told me about Picnic at Hanging Rock. Roy has now told me about Liquid Sky. <laughs> But it's like we went from there to, like, say, so we, uh, we went from Liquid Sky. Our second film was that was was their second film, Terror Tiny. No, our second film no. was The Kindred, which was fantastic. Yeah, which was a, a forgotten '80s like uh, Lovecraftian horror film. It's just if you could seek it out, it's worth watching. It's so good. So I figured I would reward him with the kindred after. It's become Pavlovian. Like if I make it through yeah. something, he throws me a bone. Like '80s <laughs> horror movie. Go, go watch this. So um, I mean, my my biggest question was because I remember seeing it as a kid, and it's scaring the living shit out of me as a kid. I was like, okay, what is this going to be like as an adult? And it's so stereotypically batshit crazy '80s. Oh, it's great. But it's so fun. It's absolutely fun, and just seeing the. Some of the earlier attempts at the aesthetics of H.P. Lovecraft being done in a movie, uh, especially when the scene where the woman transforms into a fish, uh, was just like, oh my god, while watching it. Well, I mean, that's the movie where we coined uh, where we coined the, the 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 term. This movie is ropey because that's the only way to describe it. Everything it's, is like viscous it's, it's and like slimy. And who was my actress in that one? Um, Amanda Weiss or what? What's no, her what's her name? The one that was in the the one I had the huge crush on in the yeah, uh, uh, not Amanda Weiss, but um, what's her face from the Flash ninety series? Um, does anybody know her name by chance? It, it, her first name is Amanda. I know that. That's why God created IMDb. That's yeah, where that's, I'm going. That's where he's going right oh, now. Oh, I got no internet. I gotta fix what, that before. What was that, Kindred? Uh, the Kindred, yeah. She's she's yeah. unfortunately, I mean, it, it it was a destroyer for him Amanda because Pays. Amanda what? Days. Yes. Yes. It's a Amanda destroyer Pays. for me because she she wasn't naked. Well, not only that, but she's the Aww. one that turns into the fish. I would have I would have taken it if she got naked. <laughs> I, I'm, listen, I grew up as an '80s kid. <laughs> Going into Blockbuster Video or Hollywood Video or the local video store and renting movies solely based on the cover art. Um, and she was one of those people that was in a lot of those movies yep. that kind of informed my budding sexuality. <laughs> and now I have in my mind... Fish woman. Well, no, I have in my mind that she was naked all the time. Like, that was what was in my head. Like, I was... How old was I? Let's see. So I was 87. So I was like 14 or 13 years old. And in my head, she's just naked in all of these movies. Like, these movies are full... 80s movies are full of... of even naked in The Flash. Even... It doesn't matter. She's just, <laughs> and then I watch it. I'm like, I remember this differently. I remember her differently in these movies. And then I go back and do the research... And she has, like, no nude scenes, like, in anything. And I'm like, what's in my head? <laughs> How's my memory work that I just, ima like, in everything, and now she's not? Nope. I might have watched it, like, on Showtime through the through the, through the the fuzz, like, trying to hack the... Oh, you mean, like, you're watching the Spice Channel or something like Skinamax that? Skinamax yes. type stuff, yeah. <laughs> that might be... I, I was I was a superimposing nudity on, yes. on her. So our third movie was Terror of Tiny Town, and this was it, it was an interesting jump because we went from the the what the hellness of Liquid Sky to the extreme fun of The Kindred, 
And then we got to a movie that we never want to see again for the rest of our lives. It was irredeemable. It yeah. was irredeemable. There was nothing redeeming about that movie. It's, if you know nothing about The Terror of Tiny Town, it was an old 1930s Western with an all-midget cast. And, and if you know anything about Andrew, that's a problem. <laughs> it's the, a real... The worst part about this is it was also a musical. It's so exploitive. To the point where they have one of the girls dressed as Mae West doing this sexy number, and it sounds like a five-year-old girl singing it. And at that point, it became too John Benet Ramsey for us. And and uh, the worst thing for me was that they filmed it on a set. So they filmed it on a set on whatever lot they were on, and we go through the history of like why the film was made. But they filmed it on a set where it was, and I don't want to say this. I want to say this was a little bit of decorum. But it was built for, let's call it standard size actors, right? And they just filmed it on that lot, yeah. so it wasn't it was a special for like, set, like a Gary Cooper western or something. Yeah. So they would, so so like they would pull up on Shetland ponies, and run under the fences instead of like tying them to the fences, you know, and hopping them. They'd go run under. They go under they, the swinging doors. Yeah, on the when saloon. they go into the saloon, it's under the swinging doors. And when they pull out the guns, they didn't bother making guns to fit their hands. It's normal sized guns. So, yeah, it, these huge guns that you could tell they're having a hard time holding. Now, normally this would be fun, but it's, first of all, like I said, it's so exploitively uncomfortable to it's watch It's kind of insulting. On. It's very insulting. And like I said, the, 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 the Jean Benet Ramsey moment just officially made me have to go take like a Silkwood shower afterwards because it was just so. Wasn't that the one where it was most of the, where it was a lot of the cast, like that, that little people cast from the Wizard, like of, Wizard of Oz, of Oz yeah. and they were, they were needing work and they kind of worked it out with the studio that this film was going to be made because they were looking for more Westerns and they thought it was going to be a curiosity. They actually wanted to franchise this. Right. Yeah, they wanted they wanted this to be the first of ten films starring the Munchkins from The Wizard of Oz. It, it was also gross. Failed. It was just a gross movie. Yeah, so that ne thankfully that never happened. Yeah. What was our next film after? Oh, what, re yeah. It w was it uh, Myra Breckenridge? It was Myra yes. Breckenridge for the first time in my life, which... Is the f it's the first movie that we watched that should have been a major motion picture hit mm -hmm. that flopped and not only flopped, flopped back into the lake, died, and then they tied a rock to it and let it sink. Yeah. The studio let it sink. Yeah, it was uh, Meyer Breckenridge. It, it's, the, the movie's loosely based on the Gore Vidal book. Which means it should have been good. Yeah. Um, it's about a man named Myron who gets a sex change operation and becomes Myra. And the reason why Myron does this is to get revenge on his womanizing uncle who works in Hollywood and to basically get the inheritance that he feels that he's owed. Now, on paper, that actually sounds like a great plot. However... <laughs> Concern number one comes from the fact that that the role of Myron, because we see Myron as the inner monologue for Myra throughout the whole film also. The first concern is when you are casting film critic Rex Reed to play Myron, who's never acted before in his entire life, and it showed in the movie. Um, and then apparently when... Hollywood didn't know how sex change operations work because Rex Reed transformed into Raquel Welch. 
<laughs> and I'm going, there is no surgeon in this world that that's, <laughs> that's that skilled to take Rex Reed and turn him into someone who that's some That's Welch. some Star Trek technology. <laughs> and if that wasn't bad enough, Mae West is in the movie. Oh, but Mae West isn't just in the movie. <laughs> Mae West decided, I, feel, I still feel that Mae West decided she was going to be in the movie and that she was going to sing at least three songs mm -hmm. and she was going to write the songs and choose the songs and make it happen on her own. I'm not sure she was ever cast. I think she just showed up on set. <laughs> <laughs> and she plays a, um, she plays a, uh, of course, she plays Mae West, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. She's she's an, a horny older casting agent who literally has a, not a casting couch, but a casting bed in her office. And we see her seduce a then-unknown Tom Selleck in this movie uh, before what, the mustache. Was this his first role? Yeah, it was his first role. Yeah. A lot of firsts in this movie. Um, and then, and then, and then, on top of that, we have uh, this this woman who Myra falls in love with, played by Farrah Fawcett. So we've got an all-star cast going on here. And, oh, and then um, um, John Huston, the director, is playing the her philandering uncle. Yes. So it's an all-star cast, and it's written it's a story written by Gore Vidal. So. Yeah, it should have worked, but then, for some reason, the director said, I'm going to go David Lynch with this. Just real weird. We're going to get real weird with this. Especially the pegging scene. Yeah, there is a pegging scene. Yeah, we should be really clear up front. Yeah, um, she apparently Myron had the equipment removed, and so there's a scene where she wants to teach a lesson to this male chauvinistic pig, by raping him, and she straps on a dildo and and does him. that. <laughs> and and the way that they demonstrate this is in the in the movie is by showing old World War II um, videos of rockets being launched, jumping back and forth between that and her actually riding the pony, basically. And then at one point, she's suddenly a witch sitting on a broomstick aimed directly at his butt, cackling like a witch. There's just scenes like that. Well, and, and I think you and I were talking. I, I mean, I know we were. We do a podcast. But I think that the point was if they would have taken, if they would have cut this movie differently, right? If they just would have cut it differently, it would have been a horror movie. They could have easily made this into like a like a psycho thriller oh, 70s she horror easily movie. easily been a sociopathic terror, yeah. Yeah. But instead, it's supposed to be this lighthearted, fun comedy romp that is super abusive to women every woman yeah. in it just is a it's an object yeah is an object or dumb or you know well she plays i mean My myra thing in, in in myron's mind when he becomes My uh, myra he thinks that all women should be submissive 1930s hollywood glamour housewives because he's obsessed with, he's, obsessed, he's with obsessed with old hollywood with, with old hollywood and you know and so he has that mentality in his head and he's and, and Myra's extremely sexist to men and also women because um, Myra just sees Fair Fawcett as someone to use for sex in the movie, and then of course you know there's the humorous element of rape. I mean, because you know, yeah. yeah, rape is played for a, a joke in this thing. Um, and then if that wasn't bizarre enough, the movie ends with suddenly going all Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, it does. By going black and white with Myron waking up 
in his hospital bed to find out that the operation failed and that all this movie was in his head. Uh, yeah, it's one of those. Yeah. So that's enough about that movie. <laughs> What's the next movie? Because I actually am really excited about talking about oh, it. Oh, you'd go with that one. What was the what was the name? The Cl- it was it was it was the Cl- it was the is it Speak Evil? Was that the was that what it's called? What was no, it, called? it was Evil Speak. Evil Speak. Have you seen Evil Speak? Has anybody in this room seen Evil Speak? Holy hell! Evil Evil Speak is a product of the 1980s satanic panic, um, and it stars Clint Howard. I got two words for you. Yeah. <laughs> Clint Howard. Clint Howard plays a nerd at an academy that... <laughs> I, think, I think right now this is like in our top two. Oh, it's my top, It's in my top two movies yeah. of all time. It's like about D&D or something. No, no, no. no. He, finds a, he finds a book of, of, of rituals in a, in a chapel under the, under the church in the like military the, boarding school. And this chapel looks like a set out of the Hammer horror films. Yeah, also. it's like cobwebby. So he finds this chapel, finds a bunch of books on, on like satanic rites. And then, apropos of nothing, finds like a Mac 2 and starts using the Mac 2 to translate the, the rituals. But because he's translating them with like a Mac 2, it actually casts the rituals for him and summons like the so demon. He performs a black mass on an Apple 2. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they're good for. But it's Clint Howard, so he always has that. I'm a grown man with a baby face look, you know? He's an adult baby. And he just gets more, the thing is he's supposed to get more menacing throughout the movie, and he just keeps looking more and more like a like a Cabbage Patch kid, <laughs> like, throughout the entire thing. Couple that with the fact that he summons an army of hell pigs that wreck a church. He has a giant sword in all of the 80s, and it's awful. It's so bad. Like, the filming is awful, the sound design is awful, the acting is awful. There is a scene where the church is on fire, and it's my favorite scene in any movie that I might have ever seen in my entire life. And this is, that's real talk, where one of the bullies is in the church, the church is on fire, and he runs down the corridor, and he and so it would be he like lost it at this. Scene. It would be like this, but he runs down the corridor, and for apropos of nothing to this scene, there's three doors, but he doesn't try any of them. He just throws his hands in the air and goes ah, and just spins in circles. He starts spinning like he's like Donna Summer in a music. He's like something. oh, and I'm like, why is he doing? This is so good. And about that time, the. The hell pigs the come hell pigs. busting through. But prior to all this, the I mean, it, it it was, it's an obvious ripoff of Carrie. Because yes, yes, he's it the is. bully kid, um, except this time he uses the apple two of the power of Satan. Um, the whole so the whole thing begins with the statue of Jesus inside the church starting to bleed, and as as if that's not sacrilegious enough. One of the nails goes flying out of his hand and impales the priest in the forehead. That's the that's the big massacre at the end. That begins the ten minute massacre because I mean the whole entire film you're just like, okay, no one's really dying. What's going on? You know what what is this? And then for the last ten minutes it's slaughter and just everything just going. If you ever crazy. wanted to see Clint Howard run around with like a giant broadsword just like taking people's heads off. 
which I didn't know I needed in my life until after got, I watched it. And he's got so much hair product in his in his head. It's just like it's because it's supposed to look like he's forever windblown. And he's trying because, to Oh, grimace. that's right, because they have the wind constantly yeah. on him. Like, in every scene where he's the bad guy, they have, like, a giant fan just blowing in his face. It's just like, oh, and the lights are on him. It's so good. It's so... It's the favorite... Th it's my most favorite thing that you've had me watch. Oh, it was just... Oh, God. I mean, he, he got giddy with this film. I mean, I knew that the moment... I guess, I mean, I, I had just recently rewatched it again, and then the scene where... He goes up to the bully coach and takes the sword. And I mean, normally you would think that the sword would just like slice the head in half or something, but no, it becomes a Gallagher concert. It just like cuts him in half, and it, it also squishes, and you see just red juice fly all over the place. <laughs> if anybody, if anybody in here knows. Lacey, she was watching this movie, and she doesn't usually, she's not in for those type of things ever. But this is so 80s and bad and so fake that, like, I was just watching it, like, she was doing something on her phone, and I'm watching it. And at that point, where the, where, where the guy gets, like, gets, like, sushi in half, mm -hmm. she's just like, what? She puts her phone down and just. It's <laughs> 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 like, what is this? But there were a lot of things, like, his puppy. And the and the weird drunk uh, caretaker for the church that just lives in the basement. Yeah, of happens the to live on the set. Yeah, it's just so there. It's here's the best part though is that no one on the campus knew of this place existence. Yeah, and it's like every everybody on campus who went into there was like, "What is this?" I'm like, "You run the damn school. How do you not know that this place exists?" One of my favorite things about. 80s schlock and whether it's whether it's hammer or trauma or any of those uh full moon is you get the sense that they're like okay we got the last 10 minutes now we need an hour and 20. Yeah. how do we get to the last they start at the end and they're like okay now how do we feel how do we make that make any sense Spoiler, it never does. Nope. It never makes sense how they get there, but they get there, and that's the best part. Well, actually, the best part about this movie is that it was endorsed by Anton LaVey, the guy who founded the Church of Satan. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, you know what? And I've done research on your church growing up. I don't remember any of this and what I've read in books about your church. But if this is what you thought in your mind about the church of Satan, then good for you. Good. Good for you. Uh, what do we watch after that? Dot and the Kangaroo. God, yes. <laughs> I had blocked... I had blocked that completely from my we, we decided to go from that to a children's film from Australia called Dot and the Kangaroo, which... Um, I think the most shocking thing that you found out about it was that not only was it a massive hit movie in Australia and in America, but that it spawned nine sequels. Nine damn sequels. It was the land of the time, a land before time of its time. And apparently only four of the sequels came here to America. The rest of them were just in Australia. But it was so big that it kept making money for... Uh, and it's for Australian horrifically cinema. weird and and just bad. Yeah, because it's the characters are animated, but everything was filmed in the actual bushland of Australia. So they put all these characters, superimposed them on actual footage of the wild, and it's about this girl named Dot who has a kangaroo. She just runs off into the forest. Eventually, one day. yeah. yeah. 
and she gets lost. Or is it the other way? Who finds love, really, at the end of this piece she, of trash? <laughs> She runs off into the forest. She gets lost. She can't find her way back home. Suddenly, she's approached by a kangaroo who reaches into her pouch. Not kidding. This is all real. And feeds her a root called the food of knowledge, where when Dot... It's the Matrix yeah. in an Australian... It seriously is the Matrix in an Australian cartoon. Just like the red pill or the blue pill. Eat the food of knowledge. Eat the, and suddenly, she can understand what all the animals are saying. And she's been woken up to this world of, like, talking platypi and weird snakes. And the bunyip. Oh, the bunyip. The, the most... Get in my pouch. Yes. Yes, the animals are animated. So, imagine it was... <laughs> It happens. Um, so imagine it was like a National Geographic special. Imagine they took blue, like 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 Blue Planet or Planet Earth, right? Footage, and then somebody kind of sloppily animated over that. That's what this is. And added musical numbers. Horrible, horrible musical numbers that make no sense. Yeah, at one point they just cut to two birds. Who are doing like an old like playground clap and sing like thing out of nowhere? It has nothing to do with the plot. And there was a plot. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> and then there was also a moment. Keep going in the film where we discover that apparently in Australia ducks live in trees. Because these two ducks get too scared to go into the water because they're afraid of it being too cold. So instead of running off, they fly into the tree and perch on the tree and then sing a song about how they quack. We're pretty sure that the girl ends up dead at the end. Because <laughs> she never... Didn't, doesn't she just run off with the kangaroo? No, the kangaroo the, no, definitely the, the, dies. The, no, the kangaroo abandons her and go, to go look for his baby Joey. And no, the girl does get back home, but then when she finds out that the kangaroo ran away, she runs back into the forest to go after the kangaroo. So probably like, this whole film is you trying to get home, and now all of a sudden you want to go after this goddamn kangaroo. <laughs> probably the best part about it is so she lives in like a village. It's it's what what year would you say this was? Uh, probably the forties. You think it was the forties? Yeah, that that I mean it, it had a very Steinbeck feel to it. So. <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> But the, the the town that she lives in, the village that she lives in, she runs off. This girl, what six, seven? She's she's had to be about six, yeah. Runs off into the bush, and the <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you dirty minded. <laughs> runs into the bush. Is there for where, the where she eats the 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 root, the, the root she of knowledge? Eats the root of knowledge. But the townspeople go look for her for like a day. They're like, oh, she's dead. Let's go. I'm like, this is Australia for real. That's yeah, harsh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's she's like Bindi Irwin. She'll be fine. You know? she's, like, she's like, no, she's just dead. We got to go tell her mom she's dead. So, I've got a question for them. Yes. Is there any movie that you would like to see us do? Because we take suggestions. So let me go ahead and run down the rest of the titles that we've done yeah, before do that. you do it. So I mean, with Dot and the Kangaroo, we nothing did, worth it after Dot and the Kangaroo. Then we did the gay. <laughs> then we did the Gay Deceivers, which was yeah, it was about two. Men, it's bosom buddies from two men who didn't want to go into the army, so they pretend to be a gay couple, and they move they move into a gay village and supposedly wacky hilarity is supposed to ensue but it's just sad the only funny thing that happens is of a scene that actually inspired a meme where this woman stamp stamps on these flowers 
And one of the gay people goes, look what you did to my panties. And the woman responds by going, they're marigolds. And then the gay lover's like, oh my God, she's right. They are marigolds. And then the really like fey one goes, I may not know my flowers, but I know a bitch when I see one. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only funny moment in the movie. The rest of the movie is just blue, the gay deceivers. And then, you know, they're trying this whole thing to, you know, stay out of the army and everything. They get caught. They get arrested. They are put in jail because they lie. Oh, I forgot about the, tw- the Shyamalanian and then the, the, twist. The Shyamalanian plot twist is, is the reason why they got caught. It's because everybody in the United States Army is secretly gay and it has gaydar and knew that they were not gay. So they didn't want to enlist them. So they threw them into jail for trying to deceive them. That was the plot twist. And I'm like... Okay. Who's this movie for? <laughs> like, that's my, that was my takeaway. Who's this film? Who was this movie for? Yeah. I actually kind of enjoyed that movie. I, I was like, oh, God. This could just have been for the so camp. much better. Just for the camp. And then what was after the gay deceivers? I don't know. Like, was I'm it scarred. that bad? It's all we, scar tissue yeah, up was, here Was now. it that bad? Because I remember, I remember it was the one where we absolutely said, this is the worst movie we've ever seen. We don't ever want to see it again. <laughs> Yeah. What was it? It was right before Picnic at Hanging Rock. I know that. It must have been that bad that we've completely... I think we just destroyed... Yeah, we're going to have to look it up. I'm going to look it up in a minute. As I'm looking it up... This is bad podcasting, but I will tell you this. It's a horrible, horrible movie. So So after that, we finally get to Picnic at Hanging Rock. And yeah, it's just as brilliant as we've heard. Um, If uh, I would highly check it out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Is this the new one or is it the original? No, it's the original. The original. Okay. And it's 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 one of those movies where you have to watch it more than once to really get what's going on. Uh, I really want to know, like, like it's a it's a movie that afterwards, unlike any of these other movies I wanted to rewatch, because I wanted to well <laughs> Evil Speak is a whole different oh, story. Yeah. I've watched that like three times. I'll just put it on while I'm ironing clothes. <laughs> Um, you see the dude around circles? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. I'll put that scene. If I could get a, if I could get just a gif of that guy running around in circles, oh. trust me, I would. Um, hold that thought. So before picnic at hanging a rock. After that was. My, oh no. After that was my gift to you, Ro- robot jocks. Oh, thank God. Which, thank God, is still fun. The one that we wish we never saw and don't ever want to see again because of how much the movie pissed us off is Riding the Bus with My Sister. That's right. With Rosie O'Donnell and Andy McDowell. And the reason why, just to make a long story short with it, the reason why we it pissed us off was because we thought this whole film was going to be about... It's not because of how bad Rosie's acting was. No, she no. Has, she actually has some moments that are really heartbreaking. But we thought that this movie was going to be about how the struggles of of having a mental handicap and trying to live your on your, a life on your own without the med, family meddling in and everything no it's about her bitch sister who abandoned her andy goddamn mcdowell <laughs> and because of their father's death through the eyes of love was able to find a man find a man and for and forgive herself without forgiving her sister for the way she treated her all these years and go get some dick. It's, it was the, there's no there's no story arc change with Rosie O'Donnell's character whatsoever, despite the fact that we find out in the movie that she's near death because of her diet and because she yeah. has no exercise or anything. And even though she is making her own changes, and the the they do briefly touch on she should be able to make her own changes. 
you would think that Annie McDowell would be concerned about her health. No, she's concerned about the dick. Well, so so we which come happens in- to be the bus driver. So we come hot bus driver. So we come into the movie like we said we do we do a half hour before and a half hour after. So we watch the trailer before, we do a half hour on that on what we think, maybe a little research but we never watch it. And then we watch the movie and record a half hour after. The half hour before was us just being like Rosie's going to be so bad. It's just so it looks so over the top. She's awful. Like I can't believe that they chose her because she's known because Rosie is known for her nuance well, and acting. Sounds, so she, that's who you want to play this role. She sounds like Pee Wee Herman in this Some, movie. But the problem is, I need help with the tightsey. Ah, but you know. but the problem is, they took those scenes and put them in the trailer because they thought they were compelling or funny. Yeah, that's not the entire performance. So after we watched it, like. If you could hear, like, this look, <laughs> that's what it is. For, like, for like... But we don't even go a half hour. It's our longest episode for a reason. I think we, we went an hour, we didn't went, we? We went an hour and a half on this oh, show. Geez. Because the first 30 minutes was our discussion, and then the film pissed us off so much that we just ranted about it for a full hour. And when I realized we talked for an hour, I was like, okay, we got to wrap this show up. I could have gone on for we could because we could have gone on a lot more with how angry this movie made. Or the Andy McDowell made me. Yeah, so we did Picnic at Hanging Rock, which again, great movie, rented. fantastic. It's, it's, it's available to rent on YouTube. It's the most mainstream thing we've done. Yeah, it's really good. And then our most recent episode was Rock and Roll, the animated movie from Canada. Oh yeah, boy! You gotta see to believe. Um, it's it's another product of Satanic Panic. Uh, it's set after World War Four. Four. It's yeah, four. Yeah. World War Four. The human race is destroyed, but animals have anthropomorphized into uh, live-action people, and uh, they are basically like uh, rats and cats and stuff like that. And rock music is huge, and it stars um, um, Lou Reed as this guy who is looking for the ultimate voice to be used in a spell to summon the demons from hell and get revenge on the world because of the fact that he's no longer a popular singer. And they purposely made him like, what if a rat and Mick Jagger had a kid? That's That was his look. Um, and uh, you could tell- Sexy Jafar. Yes. And you could tell that the animation budget, that a lot of it was just on his lips alone. <laughs> you said you're are- pretty sure he had an animation team solely for his lips? Yes, because his lips are so fluid in this movie. Eon Flux called and yes. his lips back? Yes. But at the same time, though, I mean, you've got- you, you got the music of Lou Reed, you got the music of Iggy Pop, and, and you've got the band in the movie who's portrayed by Cheap Trick, and you've got the female singer who I forgot who the talking voice is, but the singing voice is Debbie Harry. Susan Romain. Susan, thank you. And it's just this... Are you playing really, along? It's <laughs> this really fun movie and a great soundtrack. Short and the entire... The, the music doesn't stop. I mean, we, we poked fun at it, but it was just so much. It's so much fun. Like Lou, they couldn't have cast better than Lou Reed because he has that Nick Cave like this voice. You know, like, anyone want a beer? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like just that that saccharine kind of like fluidity, like to play like the evil overlord. Like it's it's just it's one of those movies that's 
everybody should see and it's short enough just to it's only an hour and 10 minutes yeah Yeah. and they cram so much into an hour and 10 minutes but it's a lot of fun i can't recommend it enough and there's a scene with a cat woman that's dressed up like a uh uh, like a frank frazetta painting well there's a demon being summoned and the only way it really it becomes heavy metal at one point it it really becomes basky (laughs) and the only way to bury the demon is with the power of the song of two and there's a duet with the lead singer cheap trick and debbie harry so debbie harry and the lead singer cheap trick team up to do a duet and it's like it's yeah to kill the demon and yeah god it's it's so much fun it is absolutely so much fun it's done by Nelvana, who went on to do the Alvin and the Chipmunks animated series and the Chipmunk movie, which that movie was a hit. Rock and Rule was a huge flop, and it's a shame it's a flop. This movie had hit written all over yeah. the thing. It's, but it was adult animation during a time when it was hard to be successful with an adult animation movie like mainstream. In the, in the aftermarket, Wizards and Fire and Ice and those movies were, were finding traction, but you weren't going to go on a Saturday night to the Regal and watch, mm. you well, know, especially since Walk it came out rule. in like 1983. Every inch of this movie is hand-drawn. It is a work of art. It really is. Um, I, I still can't believe that the demons at the end of the movie are not computer-animated because yeah. it's beautiful animation. Um, if you're a fan of animation, it is a must-see film because it's just Rock it's glorious. Rock, Rock and, and rule. rule. Also, if you're, oddly enough, if, if and I'm not going to get too esoteric, but if you're a fan of, like, the idea of chaos magic like the like like the legitimate idea of chaos magic which this movie deals it, with a lot it actually is a fairly accurate de- depiction of of chaos magic like like actually like research, like yeah. ritualizing the idea of willing you know of using your willpower to get what you want that type of thing i'm i'm really 3 billion foot overview but like i'm watching it and i'm like this seems Okay, they're they've done their homework here. Yeah, like, and the reason I brought that up is because they use a computer to kind of do the the first parts of the ritual to do the research, and the and the computer is all hand drawn, and that's shocking. Yeah, because it could have come out of something that was four or five years ago, but it's it was, all hand drawn, like, like a Mobius animation, like a Mobius strip, hand. almost Tesseract three D thing, drawn by hand, and I'm like, this is shocking. It was so good. Yeah. Well, movies on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. That's how we were able Most to watch of it. the movies we watch are available in one shape or one sh- way, shape, or form, streaming somewhere, either for free or if you have Hulu or Netflix or yeah. Amazon Prime. So before I reveal poor. what our next title is, um, does anybody have any questions or any movie suggestions that you th- think should be in our cult of cinema catacult that we should pay attention to? Dr. Wardrobe. I really want to do Dr. Mordred. It is literally my favorite one. Now, the the only problem with Dr. Mordred is we've both seen it. Yeah. So we try to do it. At least one of us hasn't seen it, so we can get a fresh take. But the exception we made on that was Robot Jocks. Because it had been... 20, 20, too long. Yeah, yeah, 20 years. But it was worth the revisit. I have the Blu-ray of Dr. Mordred, the re-release. Dr. Mordred is one is is in my top five favorite comic book movies. <laughs> Even Doctor the, Strange that should have been Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. so good. So good. Um, I, we're on the same page, though. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyone else? Anyone got any other suggestions? Dilworth, you got something? Yeah, I do, but I'm going to tell you all later. Okay. 
that's horrifying, and I'm down. <laughs> so our uh, so we're getting ready to wrap it up here. So I'm gonna go ahead then and announce our next title. Our next three movies that we're about to do have a common theme, and that common theme is is cocaine was obviously involved somewhere in this movie, uh, either in the acting, in the film developing, the directing, the writing. Somewhere you can tell cocaine was a heavy influence. So I've decided to start by, um, and you don't have a copy. Of this I don't have now. a copy. And this was this is a hard to find movie. This is a really hard to find movie. So I have to visualize the way I feel now when you tell me what the next movie is. <laughs> okay. So I mm. had so that means I had to like when I finally found it, I had to burn a copy of it for you to watch. Our next film is Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, um, which is a very infamous 1978 <laughs> made-for-television movie oh starring Kiss, filmed at Six Flags Magic Mountain, oh um, and it's about Kiss performing a concert at Six Flags Mag Magic Mountain and a park animatronics operator who gets jealous of their popularity, so creates an animatronic army of Kiss and other demons to run rampant on Six Flags Mag Mag Magic Mountain to destroy it and to kill people. So it's up to Kiss and their magical powers to save the day. Cocaine! <laughs> I'm excited for this one. I've heard of that movie. Simmons fire breathing to my <laughs> that's fantastic. I'm into this. So that that that's our next title. Uh, we do this show once a month, so we probably you probably won't hear this until around April. Um, you could find our show either at cultcinemacatacombs.podbean.com. You can also find us on Facebook under Cult Cinema Catacombs. We also have a Twitter account. It's um, these films exist uh, is the is the is the title for it. Also to find our show. Yeah. And we just have a blast doing it. I mean, ultimately, it's it's one of those things. It's just it's been a long time coming for Roy and I to be able to do a podcast, and it's just fun. And I challenge you guys that if you've my my, my challenge is go into Amazon Prime or Netflix or Hulu. Go as deep into the bowels of that service as you can just, and find the weirdest stuff you can and watch it. Just not the Terror of Tiny Town. Just, yeah. And if you see Terror of Tiny Town, don't do it. Look at your library. Oh, the library is a good place, too. I found John Waters stuff that I'm like, this was banned for a reason. <laughs> library. I see why it was banned. Hoopla is a great so. digital app for the library that lets you download, like, seven to ten things a month depending on what it is um, yeah you're absolutely correct oh yeah definitely so um, one last question we got to quickly wrap this up and go to our next panel if if you can only recommend one film out of the films that we've seen so far what do you recommend that's loaded because um, I've got mine well I, I listen picnic at hanging rock was was a real honest to God good movie like like if you if you can if you're not one of those people that can't watch older movies, you know, it's definitely a movie to watch. But Evil Speak, it's got to be Evil Speak. It's it's the most fun hour and a half that I can possibly offer you guys. Like in, in for real, it's what if Fast and the Furious the the soul of Fast and the Furious was dropped into an '80s horror, horror movie. Is what it is. Um, my recommendation would be The Kindred. Um, and, oh, so good! And the only reason being is because of how forgotten The Kindred has become, and it really is a good film and a great example of early 
Lovecraftian horror, uh, attempt at making Lovecraftian horror in Hollywood. So, And it's like three movies in one. Yes. Because there's three movies in there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, there's three stories going on, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so we have been Cult Cinema Catacombs. I hope you guys enjoyed our show. Uh, check us out online and... Um, yeah. Thank you guys for coming. You guys are awesome. Thank you. They're our first panel as a group. So, um, And if you are a fan of cult films, tonight at 10 o'clock in the Pecan Room, I will be doing a cult cinema game show as my alter ego, Jaster. Um, and then tomorrow night at 10 o'clock, I believe it is, um, inside the Addison Cinema, we're going to be presenting a video presentation uh, called uh, Tales to Poo Your Pants To. Uh, which is a collection of uh, online short films that definitely deserve a look.